Welcome to the Goalie Hacks podcast, the show dedicated to providing elite tips, hacks and strategies to take your game to the next level, where we help you become an elite goaltender, one hack at a time. And now, here's your host, Mike Santaguida. Bang, bang, everyone, and welcome back to the show, the Goalie Hacks podcast. I'm your host, Mike Santaguida, as always. And can I get another bang, bang for our six-month anniversary for the show? Let's go. We are now halfway through the year, six months into the show, and what a ride it's been so far. And thank you to everyone who has subscribed and tuned into the show. I'm, I'm thankful that even one person you know, wants to listen to, to what we discuss on this show. And you know, we like to make nerding out on goaltending a little cool. And uh, thank you to all my fantastic guests, obviously, who took the time out of their days to come on. And here's to another six months of success for everyone involved in this program. And in honor of our six-month anniversary, starting today, I'm running a sale on all our Goalie Hacks merch, and I'll be activating a 10% discount on everything in the merch shop. And this discount will only be available until Friday, September 5th. So you only got three or four days, so hurry up because the deal is only running for a limited time. And to lock up your 10% today, just head to goaliehacks.com shop and check out all the merch we have from clothes to accessories to, uh, to gym bags, bottles, phone cases, you name it. We got it all. So just head to goaliehacks.com shop for more details. And uh, today on the show... I have a good friend of mine I've known for almost 13 years now, a CIS champion, longtime OHL and pro goaltender, Neil Conway. And Conway was a standout goaltender his entire career, playing four years in the OHL, and then going on to win several accolades and championships in CIS and pro hockey. And we dive deep into what it was like transitioning to, to the OHL and then Canadian college hockey, and what exactly his experience was winning a championship. Uh, you guys are going to absolutely love this one, so make sure you stick around for the whole show. And as a special episode promo, uh, uh, as Neil uh, Conway wanted it, we're also doing a 10% off all Easy Crease products when you use the code HACKS, all caps, H-A-C-K-S, at checkout. So head to easycrease.com to claim your discount today. And this code will also be available for anyone who listens to this episode later as well or going forward. So if you ever need a discount on Easy Crease products, absolutely love them. There's literally nothing else out there right now that, that does what they do. So if you're a coach, you're a player, whatever, if you're looking for a crease outside of the, the area they painted in, uh, once again, go to easycrease.com, use the code HACKS, all caps, at checkout, and head to their website or check them out on Instagram for more details. And shout out to all my patrons and my mentorship and Inner Circle members. And if you're looking to get an early podcast release, uh, you know I've actually started to offer that to my members uh, privately weeks in advance. Or whenever they'd like to hear an episode I've pre-recorded, I usually tell them, hey, I'm recording today. Do you guys want this episode? They get about one or two a month. So if you're looking to catapult your development and work side by side with me, or if you're just looking you know, to support the show and get some extra perks, uh, just head to patreon.com slash goaliehacks for more details or click the link included in the show notes to uh, get access to that page to check out all the details, what comes with every every tier. Um, and since it's the first of the month, I uh, want to give a big shout out to our monthly NeuroTracker X internal league winners 
And coming in first place for the high score this month. And for the second month in a row, Nate Bergen with an average high score of 3.45. And this kid absolutely blew the doors off of our uh, our championship, uh, our league last month. And also shout out to Michael Foglia, who was actually an NTX giveaway winner. Uh, we've had a, a several of these guys pop up on our, as winners in our monthly league competitions. Um, coming in on the month is the most improved, improving about 95% from his baseline test. Um, and of course, shout out to all our runner-ups and, and all the rest of the members of the group. And if you're looking for a cheaper alternative to the Sense Arena while getting the same benefits and results, the new VR-compatible NTX NeuroTracker X is definitely for you. So at a quarter of the cost, less than a fraction of the cost, less than a quarter, you know, hit me up directly for more details on how to get started today. But without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. I know you guys are going to love the chat Neil and I had today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Goalie Hacks podcast. And today on the show, I'm excited to be joined by an old friend of mine who I've known for almost 15 years now. And after having an incredibly successful playing career, He's now developed his school into one of the most sought-after goaltending coaching programs in the country, Neil Conway. After having a successful and long tenure in the OHL, he went on to win several league accolades as well as U Sports Championship and CIS Intercollegiate Canadian Sports in Canada, which is, for, for those that don't know, it's it's uh, college hockey in, in Canada. And after having a, a long and successful pro career, winning a pro championship in Europe and playing over 75 ECHL games, Conway retired from the game back in 2016 and started his premier goaltending school called Conway Goaltending Base in Ohio, as well as his other well-known company called Easy Crease. Conway, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, absolutely, Santa. Great to be here. Yeah, we're right on, buddy. Uh, great to finally get you on the show. And I know we've been trying for a while, but uh, you've been busy with camps. You guys are uh, fortunate enough in Ohio to be able to get on the ice in a group setting and uh, just curious, how'd your camps go this year? Um, it was great. We were, uh, you know, we were kind of busier than ever. Um, you know, I, I've been retired for about four years now, so uh, the school has kind of grown each year. But, uh, you know, I was kind of anticipating that this would definitely be a different year when COVID hit. But it uh, it kind of was right on par with all the other years. And, it, and it, you know, it continued to grow um this year uh i think a, a big part of that too was that in uh, march and april everybody was kind of cooped up and i yeah. think once uh once the goalies you know um wanted to get back or were allowed to get back training everybody was kind of chomping at the bit so it uh you know it made for a busy summer so it was good yeah you get you guys get a, a lot of guys coming from uh, out of state because uh, it was ohio like did they just say yeah you guys are allowed to go on the ice or was there any sort of return to play plan um yeah like like there was rules and stuff like that in place but we were um in better shape with our coronavirus numbers so oh, there was definitely um more out of state um you know uh, people coming to train this year than we had in yeah. years past and even outside of the goalie school like my goalie school, I just knew that there was people from Detroit and Pittsburgh and New York right. driving to Ohio to get on the ice a little bit because uh, a lot of those other states were in, um, you know, worse conditions. So uh, Cleveland and, you know, I think Ohio in general was seeing a lot of hockey players travel to uh, just get on the ice a little bit. Yeah. We got anything new on the horizon for Easy Crease that you want to share with anyone if you feel comfortable before we jump into it? 
you know, the 2.0, uh, Easy Crease 2.0 is is uh, it's on the back burner right now. Like the uh, the original, you know, we call it the 1.0. It's obviously yeah. just the original, but um, it's doing really well. We we've gotten into uh, HockeyShot.com and Pure yeah, Hockey, so. That. Yeah, so we're uh, you know some of the the big online retailers are selling it now, and then we have uh, some organizations and uh, you know of course goalie schools that are using it quite regularly. And yeah, nothing uh, new to report other than uh, we're just trying to get it out to as many uh, hockey teams as we can to start the season. Yeah, well, congrats on uh, getting the word out there more and rolling it out in some bigger markets. I know it's a good product, um, and for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, go check it out. But uh, why don't we dive right into the show and get rolling here? And maybe you can just start off by, you know, briefly introducing yourself, where you've been, and sort of where we are now. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm obviously uh, retired now, but I, I grew up playing hockey in Cleveland. Um, I just started playing, you know, my, my, my family is a hockey family now, but my, neither of my parents played. And um, the, the reason I started playing ice hockey in Cleveland was just because my, uh, my next door neighbor, uh, they're called the Okiki family. Uh, Tim Okiki runs a successful hockey school for forward and defense forwards and defensemen in Cleveland. Um, so I started playing cause, uh, you know, they were my friends and I just want to hang out with my friends. So, yeah. um, we, my whole family got into hockey after that though. My sister who was older than me started playing. Um, she started when she was uh, like 12 or 13, but she ended up playing uh, division one. And then she, nice. um, play or coaches now but she played in the national women's league back the the league um you know it was about 15 years ago it was a little different structure but she was in uh, yeah. the quebec avalanche in the national women's league and then i wow. have uh twin brothers who played division three hockey and declan conway is uh he's the only forward in our family we um we have three goalies uh <laughs> myself my older sister and then one of the twins uh liam conway you know pretty well is yeah, uh yeah. he's a goalie coach in the GOJHL and he played division three and he played a couple of years of juniors so yeah I um you know I just grew up playing in Cleveland my whole family got into hockey and then uh when I was 15 you know I guess I just grew up playing like double A AA and triple A and stuff and then when I was 15 um I made a tier two team in the OJ called the Stouffville Spirit which I'm sure yeah you know, and then after that, I got uh, drafted to the OHL. And then obviously, you know, I, we already touched on a lot of my career, but that's kind of uh, how things went. So, yeah. 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 Well, right on, man. Well, I want to dive right into sort of the beginning of what we would call the next level of your career. And for that and for you, you know, that started back in, in 03 or 04 when you had uh, an opportunity to play for the U17, U18, U.S. select teams. Um, maybe you can just detail how that differs from the U S national program and maybe just briefly describe to us how that opportunity came about and, and what the experience was like competing at the international level as an amateur athlete. Yeah, for sure. Um, so most people know like, uh, the U S national development program is a, it's a year round team that's like, you know, when you go there, most players go there for two years. Um, that team plays year round. Now, like Team Canada obviously doesn't do that. Team Canada has like U17 teams and then U18 teams that just they, those guys come together for a couple of weeks and go to a big tournament. And then everybody else goes back to, you know, the OHL or whatever yeah. junior league or NCAA. But the U.S. has a different system where if you make the U.S. national development program, you're basically, you know, there for two years and it's the top players in the country. But 
outside of the U.S. development program, uh, they have like the tournament teams where if you make that team, um, you get to go play in, you know, the, everyone knows the U18 Halinka Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the U18 tournament that I got to play in. And the, the U17 tournament was uh, the Five Nations Cup. And the way they pick those teams is that I know a lot of Canadians uh, don't know it. Of course, most American kids do. But yeah. there's the summer development, like uh, they call it Natty Camp. But it used to be right. called the Select Festivals. But they have the uh, National 15 Development Camp, the National 16 and the National 17 Development Camp. So when you're at the select, uh, or I should say the the National uh, 16 Camp, um, 12 districts basically send a team. So there's, it's like a 12-team tournament for a one week, and it's in Buffalo, New York. And, of course, it's scouted by a ton of uh, OHL and Division One and yeah. whatever major junior league, you know, other major junior leagues and stuff. And then – you play there for five or six days. If you play well, uh, you get to go on Team USA and go to the Five Nations Cup. And then, uh, of course, that's in like August or whatever. And then the uh, you go play wherever you play. A lot of guys go to the USHL or North American League or go play midget for a year. Or, yeah. In my case, I played uh, in the OJ with Stouffville. And then, you know, I made the US 17 team. And then the next year I was in the OHL. But then you go back to the – uh, select 17 festival or select 17 natty camp. And then mm-hmm. you play for five or six days, you try out and, you know, I was lucky enough to make the team again. And I think, um, I don't know, like looking back on it, you know, you're pretty young, right? Like 17 yeah. or 18 is pretty young to, um, you know, for anybody in their life, but it's, um, it, it was a good experience for me because I think even going to Europe, uh, for whatever, you know, it was probably like 10 or 14 days. I think mm-hmm. it, uh, it gave me um, a lot of experience for later in my life when I went to Europe, just because I had been there before. And from a hockey sense, when you're in North America, like all the rinks are pretty similar and like, you know, Cleveland and Detroit and Toronto, it's like, if you, you know, just woke up, if you, you know, were on a bustle night and you woke up in one of those cities, it'd all kind of be the same. But if you wake up in Europe, you know, it's kind of a lot different. And then the rinks are a lot different. And there's just, there's a lot of small variables that I think are, um, you know, they're they're just things you got to learn to deal with. Um, So yeah, for me, playing for Team USA, you know, a couple of times in Europe when I was younger, definitely helped me later in my career. And it was, uh, it was a great experience. Yeah, and I saw you got the tournament MVP as well, uh, one of your appearances, which is just a, a great accolade to pick up. And obviously, um, the tournament is, is a one-and-done, is a short-lived type of thing. And in a situation like that where you have a, a sort of a short opportunity to showcase yourself, what exactly did you do to prepare for that moment to, to play so well at the tournament? And, and what exactly did you tell yourself throughout the experience to sort of keep you focused on the task at hand and you know, not get distracted by the stakes or being a part of the, you know, the, the program, the U S national program. Yeah. Um, I think something I learned young in my career, uh, even though like all these outside things can kind of like change and, you know, there's all these different variables going on outside. Like I remember it was funny, like a big problem we had in Europe, um, sparkling water, is of course like it's kind of gained popularity in uh, North America here the last couple of years, but um, growing up and especially like as a kid, like you would never, most kids like don't like sparkling water and yeah. especially you would never drink sparkling water like between periods or like on the bench. 
And when we got over there, the only thing they could get was sparkling water. And I remember like guys trying to drink it like before games and between periods. And like, there's just all these like really, and you have like a makeshift dressing room and you know, everybody, you know, kind of sleep deprived. The hotels are different. The meals are weird. And I don't know, for me, what I started to realize is that like, there's all these outside things, but the game doesn't change. Right. And you can kind of just, if you, if you kind of believe that and remember that, that like, even though there's a million uh, kind of distractions out there that when you get on the ice, it's still the game you've played your whole life. Yeah. And um, it's the same thing. You go to the NHL and uh, you know, everybody's getting paid millions of dollars There are 40,000 fans in the rink. The game hasn't changed, right? Yes. It's, it's the exact same game, you know, that, you know um, you played, you know, whether it's, you know, mites, squirts, peewees, it's like, you're prepared. So you just got to kind of let all that other stuff go and then just go out there and play hockey like you would any other day. Yeah. So for you, like what exactly you said, you, this, this sort of that self-awareness dawned upon you. Um, but what were you like telling yourself? Is that what you were telling yourself? Like, Hey, the game hasn't changed. Like, what were you actually saying to yourself to help avoid all those distractions that were going on? Um, for me, like, I guess And I think a lot of goalies are like this, but all I ever tried to like think about was like, just watch the puck. And then like, you just, you just focus on watching the puck and reading the release. And then like everything else kind of takes over. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of the whole point of training is that like you train so much that you should just kind of know what to do and let your instincts take over. And so I I know from, you know, I, I guess a more direct focus thing is that like, when I got on the ice, I was just like, just watch the puck and just play. Mm. Keep and, it all uh, in between the glass is sort of the way I like to put it. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah, that was big. At the end of that season, you know, you get drafted to the OHL by uh, the Owen Sound Attack. And maybe you can first off provide some advice for kids, you know, looking to go the major junior route as Americans or anyone for that matter. You know, what the best course of action would be to get more exposure to those teams and get under their radar. Yeah. Um, you know, I think most major junior teams have a lot of scouts out there and, you know, they like to play it. Like, I think, um, you know, you don't want to insult anybody, but there's a lot of people out there that, you know, of course, like the major going major junior is a big risk and, and NCAA is an outstanding route. And there's a lot of people that kind of, uh, like I kind of, it's, I joke around with it with some of my hockey buddies, but there's a lot of people that are like, Oh, I would never, I would never go major junior. Like it's, it's such a, <laughs> a bad, uh, a bad route or whatever. And, and not really, (laughs) well, well, yeah, but it's, what's funny is it's like, I think a a lot of people don't realize how hard it is to play in that league. It's like, yeah, you probably won't have to make a decision because it's a, it's a really tough league. And it's like, you are playing against, you know, the, the Stamkos and the Taveras and the McDavid of the world. So it's, um, it's like, you've just got to know that one, it's not easy to get there. Their scouts are in every triple A tournament. Uh, you go to and then obviously I think you know one thing if you are genuinely interested is just that if a team reaches out to you that you know has interest I think being honest and upfront that like listen I'm really interested in playing in this league yeah then um, I think you know they'll they'll respond right so yeah yeah. because the thing is it's like for American kids yeah there's a lot of kids that don't want to go for for good reasons which is that like they one, they don't really know what the OHL is, and they've just seen Division One college hockey their whole life. And two, um, 
it is like, you know, it's not what they're used to. But in Ontario, it's like, yeah, almost every kid grows up in Ontario knowing what the OHL is. Oh, yeah. So it's like, you know, they, obviously they always call it the show HL, but it's like, yeah, it is like <laughs> what you, you know, they grow up uh, kind of idolizing, you know, the OHL. So all those kids want to get there, but there's also a lot of kids that want to go to the OHL from Ontario that don't get there. Right. Yeah. No. I, and, and I like how you said that point is like, Hey, like people are like, Oh, I would never go to the, Oh, it's too risky. Well, one, it's risky because you're playing with the, like the, some of the top players in the world, like you just mentioned. But another thing to note is, to, to be honest, like NCAA, you know, even D3 is not, it's not any less risky, you know, and, and it, that has become sort of a new thing. Right. And like, like when I was at Vermont, um, we had like 30 guys on the team, yeah. like yeah. 32, 32 guys or something like that. Like it was crazy. Like, and so a lot of teams now what they're doing is they over recruit and um they see where sort of the pieces fall and whoever kind of figures it out stays and at the end of the year if you're you know if you're at sort of the bottom of the food chain you're gone and um yep. i think the one thing to take out of that is like whether you're in the ohl or whether you're in uh you know in the ncaa you're at the next level and at the next level people need results so yep. when it comes to getting yourself out there, getting more exposure. Like you said, there's a lot of people out there, especially at those junior level scouts everywhere. A lot of people are like, Oh, how can I get on the radar? How can I get on the radar? Right. And I think a big thing we need to do is like have humility and look within and say, Hey, what do I need to play like to get that exposure? Right. I don't, it's not necessarily like me. Oh, Hey, come check me out. Like if you do well, if you're dominating the leagues you're in and whatever market you're in, Somebody's going to notice at the next level, whether it's college, whether it's the OHL, whatever it is, because you're being standoutish. So I think the conversation and and I'm just taking it in a bit of different direction and just coming off the top of my head here is that, you know, uh, young athletes, I think that's a huge pitfall. It's like, oh, how do I get more exposure? Well, first, focus on playing well, right? Focus yeah. on doing your job better than everybody else. And, um, you know, that exposure sort of comes. Would you agree with that? A million percent. And I think a lot of people overlook that that like what what it's really all about is being you know the absolute best player on the ice yeah and you know there's there's always questions about like yeah like how do i get to the next level how do i get exposure and i'm like well what what do you think would happen if your goals against average was one where it's like wow, <laughs> you know what i mean where it's like wow like you just like never get scored on and you get like 10 to 15 shutouts or whatever you know like whatever it is it's just like yeah. that's what great goaltending is, is like, you don't get scored on very much. And then, you know, I know a lot of goalies out there get stuck on bad teams and, you know, your, your situation is tougher, but it's like, yeah, but that's even more of an opportunity to yeah. shine sometimes in my opinion, which is like, yeah, you're getting like 40 or 50 shots a game and everybody knows that your team is not very good, but somehow their goalie always makes it a two to one game or you steal a bunch of games. It's like, if you are, if you dominate your level, people are going to take notice and you will get, you know, attention and you will have opportunities to move on. But it's a big part of it too, is like, it's not just like one time a year. It's yeah. like, you know, I think any goalie can play good once in a year. It's like, can you, can you dominate for a season? Right. Yeah. Be consistent with it. Well, in your first year with the Owen sound, you know, you had a great rookie season playing 15 games for the squad and, and putting up some great numbers as a rookie uh, but for you, what was the hardest part about transitioning from minor hockey to, to major junior? I think, I think understanding the, 
intensity and the professionalism of it. Like, I think what a lot of, you know, players don't understand is, you know, there's like two jumps. There's obviously from like youth hockey and minor hockey to, you know, major junior. And then from major junior or whatever college to pro. And yeah. I, you know, at each level, it's kind of a big part of it is like, what is the expectations of the coaching staff yeah. and just the level itself. Right. Um, you know, when you go from youth hockey or minor hockey, it's kind of like, you know, you just show up at the rink and you just kind of hang out with your buddies. And then like, when you get on the ice, it's like, yeah, well you have to work hard now. Right. Yeah. Um, when you get to the OHL and division one, it's like, well, no, it's like you walk into the rink and it's like, it's first job. of all, you got to be there, you know, hours before. And then it's, yeah. it's like all business, right. You're supposed to be training. You're supposed to be focused. You're supposed to be a hundred percent dialed in. And I think, you know, when you're 15 or 16, that's a tough thing to learn, but it's also like, it, it, there's no time to waste. It's like you either do or you don't. Right. Yeah. 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 And, uh, uh, Brian Kane on, uh, you know, on, on episode nine of the podcast said, uh, the one thing that, you know, we all have control over is time. And if you sort of become a savage with time, then you can get more results, right? Your ROI, your return on investment with your time. And at the next level, that's what they're doing, right? They're saying, okay, we have an hour and 15 minute practice plan. We, we, they literally plan out every single minute based on, uh, Hey, what were we bad at this weekend? And you as a goalie need to sort of do that same thing, right? Because obviously you can't train every hour of the day. So when you get to the rink, they want you to be dialed in on your workouts. They want you to be dialed in, um, you know, on the ice, off the ice, making sure you're being injury preventative, right? There's so many different layers that go into it um, for sure. And I imagine at the OHL level, you know, you're even younger getting exposed to that, right? Like I got exposed to that. Uh, I mean, I went to private school, so it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit more military, I guess, is the word that I would say. But really, when you get to college, you feel how serious it is, right? Like, it's yeah. a business, you know yeah. what I mean? And that's exactly what the OHL is, too, right? Yeah, um, and I think, I think uh, like, you, you probably felt it in college, too. And I think, and it makes a lot of sense, though, is that, you know, the coaching staff knows that if they do not have success there, that, like, you know, OHL coaches get fired all the time. Division one coaches get fired all the time. Yeah. And you, you've got to respect that. Like, yeah, this is a business for those guys because it's their livelihood and they also know what, you know, creates success. Yeah. And it's not, you know, being a immature little kid, just doing what you want on the ice. Right. It's, you gotta be, you gotta be a workhorse. Yeah, totally. Well, what would you say surprised you the most when you, you got to the OHL and, you were sort of in your game situations facing those those shooters. What was sort of your expectation versus when you got there? I I thought what worked for me in tier two, which is obviously a much closer level than like yeah. most players jump, you know, most goalies. I thought what worked for me there would work for me in the O, and it didn't. Um, mm. And I I had to learn that like I needed to adapt and change um, because what I did before was not working anymore. And, uh, you know, like what what exactly would you say that was? So that was like a time when, you know, of course, like, you know, and that was like, Oh, four Oh five. Like, of course, Mm. like the butterfly style had taken over, but there was like, you know, just little details of everything. Right. Of just, 
you can't you can't get away with much out there when you know like on our team we had Bobby Ryan and Bobby Sanginetti and Trevor Lewis. Wow, who all were like first round picks, and of course you know that's what every team is in the OHL. It's just littered with NHL draft picks that are going to be yeah. playing you know in the National Hockey League for ten years. And um, for me, I think learning what it really meant to be patient was. Like waiting on the release and like not, you know, I always talk to a lot of my goalies about this, but it's not like going down and then reacting to the puck, right? Like when you do that, it's a, it's not going to work because what happens is it's almost like playing the outfield, right? It's like the ball hits the bat. You just start running one direction, (laughs) but then you start, then all of a sudden you really look where the ball is going. You're like, Oh, it's going this way. It's like, well, that's that time you just lost is what's going to cost you. If you had, truly waited to read the release on a, you know, on a shot, then you, you probably have enough time to react. But it's like, if you just start going somewhere and then try to recover after you, there's no, there's not, there's no time to recover. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think patience and then, uh, you know, you can't slide around the net very much at that level. Like you've got to learn to beat plays on your feet consistently. Yeah. You want to go deeper into that? Um, yeah, like I think I just think that, um, you know, the concept of beating plays on your feet is, you know, well known in goaltending. But I think it's also uh, you've got to like push it to the max. Um, and I think when I started to learn how to do that and where to execute it, like, you know, I almost started looking at the game upside down a little bit of being like, when do I like absolutely have to slide? Yeah. So like right. literally like I like would almost try to not go down until I absolutely had to. And, you know, it's like anything in life. If you look at something like completely upside down, it kind of gets really interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, I don't know, I guess just all over the ice and all these little tight areas and small little situations, I started to figure out that like, you don't have to go down here or you don't have to go down until this happens and you can, hold your edges as a lot of guys say, but you can, uh, you know, just stay on your feet longer and longer and longer. And when you do that, it really puts you in the driver's seat. Yeah. And I think that honestly, I, that's more prevalent now than ever these days. Right. Because, um, it's sort of, it's, it's always, we're always playing this cat and mouse game almost with forwards, right. Where we, we adapt to them and then they adapt to us and you're seeing it with, uh, the patients, guys that go down too early. You're seeing it on the RVH stuff. You're seeing it on guys' releases. Um, like forward releases, like they used to change the angle before. Now they're doing things that that totally almost defy physics with. And that goes back to the point of you're saying, hey, you got to be patient on your feet, one, because you're going to get burnt by a, by a last-ditch effort of a guy passing back door. But also on the release, too, because the guy totally makes it look like he's going glove, and then he just goes through your elbow far side blocker after he pulls that, right? So what I'm noticing, though, is with, you know, with the release, it's this cat-and-mouse game of um, now it's more prevalent now and ever that you really got to wait for that puck to start to come off the blade. Like, for you, what do you teach to your guys with the release? Like, what kind of process do you go through with them to figure that out? We, um... What we do actually is like a, we have like a series of games that we play because, you know, it's one of those things where um, I've learned that I could tell you like, hey, put a 60% of your weight on your heels and 40% on your toes when you're like standing in your stance. 
but that is like completely arbitrary to nothing. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like that doesn't like me telling that in my head means something totally different to you in your head, right? right. Because obviously it's not like there's a scale that genuinely measures how much weight is on your heels and your toes. Yeah. Um, and I think the way people perceive and see things and, and especially something like reading the release where it's very hard to quantify, we play a couple different games. Like I'm sure, you know, five hole game really well. Right. Yeah. And what's so funny about that kind of a game. And um, I don't know if you know, Zach Nowak, Zach Nowak's uh, one of the, um, you know, uh, USA hockey, he's the mid am director. I'm yeah, the Ohio guy. So he's like a little bit of my, uh, my senior in, in terms of the USA hockey goaltending mm-hmm. world. But he um, he's really big on games that have immediately – they immediately teach you something without explaining something. So right. when when you go down in five-hole game, like what do you – what would I say to you? Am I really going to teach you something? I'm going to be like, oh, hey, you went down early? You obviously know that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it, it would be the dumbest instruction ever. Like I fake you out, you butterfly, and I go, oh, hey, you went down early on that one. It's like, well, yeah, no kidding. Like that's the whole game, right? So – we have a couple of different games like that, like just two or three of them. Um, but I think what it, what it starts to do is like the goal, the goalies just start to intuitively figure it out. And you hear guys kind of say that in pro hockey a lot about any position. It's like, you just got to start to figure it out. Mm. And it's like, what is it? And it is like, you got to figure out the game and you got to figure out what it's really all about. And it's, it's not easy to articulate all the time, but like once you, once you do figure it out is like when you see players have a lot of success, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I'm just curious, kind of backtracking a little bit for young guys about to make that transition to junior and you played, you played junior at a really young age, which is exceptional, but what do you feel is probably, you know, the biggest pitfall for rookies and how they can uh, avoid it or overcome whatever that is? Um, I guess I just think a, a lot of guys struggle with the mental game. Um, you know, you see, you see so many, you know, it's the same as forwards and defensemen. I mean, of course, goaltenders, but you see so many players where like fastest guy on the ice, hardest shot and same with goalies. It's like great, great movement, great athlete, like can do everything. Great RVH, great post play, but it's like, can't stop a puck. You know what I mean? Or it's the same thing. No, like it's true though. Right. It's like, it's like you watch certain players that like play the game and you're like you watch them practice like you're like wow this kid's 18 shoots a puck 100 miles an hour gets up and down the ice how many points did you have last year one you know what I mean it's like I had one assist last year and it's like I just think figuring out the mental game and your ability to focus and execute is the absolute biggest thing because on the other end of the spectrum you see a lot of goalies in the NHL or whatever you know high-end leagues you're like you watch them play and you're kind of like, well, this isn't very impressive, but then it's like guy doesn't get scored on. Yeah. And been in the league for a long time, having a lot of success. Yeah. Butterfly isn't very good. Doesn't really know how to use an RVH and, you know, kind of always a little bit awkward in the net, but yeah. Puck out of the net. And it's like, well, obviously the mental game is a huge part of it. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. And obviously, you know that I'm a short guy and I'm a, I'm a big believer in that side of the game. Um, and a lot of the bigger guys, I knew that even when I was younger, I was like, you know what, I'm, I might not be getting the attention that maybe, you know, 
I think I deserve or whatever it is. But if I just stop pucks and if I just do the right thing long enough, then eventually as the stakes get higher, all those guys that can't figure it out mentally get, would get weeded out. And that in fact happened. Right. And you ask yourself, like, what's the diff? Like, how could a sh- how could a small guy, you know, do so well? Like if the game was all physical, then it would just be big guys. Right. right. And uh, I'm just curious, what do you think was maybe the biggest mental aspect that that you that grew on you or that grew within you that allowed you to have so much success? I I was a big uh, believer in like like I already touched on it a bit, but watching the puck and then your your ability to like you know like some days you just don't see it very well, right? Yeah. Um, but I think figuring out how and when you see the puck well, which is you know it's all about focus. Yeah. Um, but if you can really learn, you know, you know, some people just call it getting in the zone, but it's like, if you can learn how to get in the zone more okay. frequently and yeah. like more consistently, like you are going to stop a lot of pucks. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, all these other parts of the game are very important. Like, you know, your movement, your positioning, your athleticism, yeah. and a lot of different strategical things help. But in, in my opinion, it's like the guys who see the puck the best and can do it all the time will you know have the most success yeah well after a long tenure in the ohl you know playing uh uh, four or five seasons and i know you've seen a lot of guys come and go you know what's the major difference between guys who stick around in that league because you mentioned you know it's so hard to just uh to, to not just just get a job but to stick around because it's so competitive but also have success versus the guys that just come for a cup of coffee and can't find a way to stick around in the league. What's the biggest difference there? I think, you know, your, your ability to grab an opportunity and run with it. Um, yeah. I think, I think what a lot of players, like, I, I think a lot of players don't understand how small the window of opportunity is. Yeah. And like literally a lot of times it's one game and in, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if, you know, I can't get inside everybody's head, but from the outside in and at least, you know, understanding the game at a, at a pretty high level, like I can see how, you know, it, of course it's like the head coach's decision, like who's going to stay and go and who's going to be around. But I was in a, a unique situation my last year in Oshawa where, uh, you know, just to accelerate the story, we had three goalies. I was an overage, which of course in the OHL, you can only have three. So an overage yeah. goalie is, always kind of a tough spot to have. And then uh, the other goalie was a 16 year old first rounder, Kevin Bailey, who I know, you know, well, and then uh, yep. um, a night they uh, the other goalie was a 19 year old. And basically I was the odd guy out because it was like, well, why are we going to keep an overage goalie around? Um, and, and both other guys were playing really well. So like from a certain standpoint, I was like, yeah, I don't know why you would keep me around. This makes no sense for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? From a team standpoint, I'm like, I wouldn't eat up an overage spot for a goalie. Um, so the team, you know, I was kind of a healthy scratch for like over a month and then, uh, the team just kind of hit a rut and and was struggling a little bit. And then, uh, the coach just decided like he was, you know, reaching for anything because it's OHL, you know, if you lose seven, eight or whatever, I don't remember now, but 10 in a row, like your job's kind of on the line. So he, he just said to me, Hey, like, I'm going to put you in the net and you have one chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what and it comes down to. Yeah. Like, like there was no like, ah, oh, maybe like, we'll see how this goes. It was literally like, <laughs> you're going to get one game and that's it. And like, I, 
you know, was luckily able to kind of like seize that opportunity. And I played really well. We were on the road in Kitchener and, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever it was. I had like 45 shots. We won, you know, four to three or five to three. And then the thing was, is that the next day uh, we had another game, played great again, got a shutout. And then I think after that was kind of like the overage deadline. Sometime in November, there's the OHL overage deadline where they kind of, you have to like draw a line in the sand for your, the players on your roster that are overagers. And then yeah. luckily, like the coach kind of had to play me because we had lost, I don't know, whatever it was, eight or 10 in a row. Wow. And I had just won two in a row. So I played well enough that I kind of, you know, kept you around. He kept me around, and then I had a pretty good season thereafter. Um, unfortunately, that was the same year John Taveras was uh, traded to London. So our team got a little bit worse after the uh, the trade deadline, yeah. um, to say the least. But either way, it was a it was a fun year, and you know I had some some personal success that year. But yeah. the point is to the story is that like I literally had one game to prove myself, and if I didn't get in that game and win, then uh, my season was, uh, over and I think that would have drastically affected my career, you know? Yeah, totally. What did you, how did you approach that knowing that sort of your job was on the line? How did you sort of avoid that distraction? Like, what did you do to prepare game day, uh, during the game, all these things to sort of stay in that zone that you talked about earlier? I, uh, you know, from all, from that perspective, I just kind of stuck to my normal routine. Like, um, not every team does a lot of, uh, morning skates in the OHL and we didn't. So I, if, uh, if we, if we, I, if I don't have a morning skate, I would usually just go out for like a, a little light jog and, uh, a stretch and stuff like that. And then I made a, a pregame meal, got a nap. And then, you know, from, uh, the internal mental perspective, I had, uh, I'd been a healthy scratch for over a month. So yeah, I just focused on, you know, like having fun. I'm like, I just want to play, you know, yeah. like I just want to play the game and, um, have, you know, I just want to play well. Like I tried not to overthink it. And, uh, I think that was important for me that I was like, just go play hockey and enjoy the yeah. game. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't really like hold anything over your shoulders. You're like, you know, I'm just going to go out there and play. And, um, you know, I, I, I like how you mentioned opportunity and I think when you're young and obviously you and I are a bit older, so we've seen the opportunities come and go. We've had success and also had plenty of failures. Um, but, you know, it was the same thing with with me. Like when I was in midget, you know, I my dad decided and, you know, we decided he's like, hey, like, I don't think you're ready to play yet. We're going to wait. Right. We're going to wait. You're going to AP uh, in Ontario. That's affiliating right with the OJHL team. Yep. And, uh, you know, rest in peace to Dale Howardchuck, who is my coach who just passed away, um, sadly. But uh, he, uh, you know, I, I waited three months to get my opportunity. I waited till I was ready to have that opportunity. And what happened, you know, they finally threw me in a game and I played really good and I ended up playing like 13 junior A games as a 16 year old in the second half of the year. And that probably changed the face of my career. And then I went right. to Avon, same thing you know, won my first five games and then I didn't let the other guys touch the net. And then I went to junior and my first game in junior, I played really, really good. And Vermont saw me there. And then yep. they didn't really come out to watch me until Christmas until they committed me again. And then same thing when I went to Vermont, like I wasn't even slated to play. You know what I mean? Like they were like, yeah, we need a number two guy. We know you can play. And I just came off a hot year in junior. But what happened was the other goalie got hurt and yep. I had to, my first co college game was against North Dakota in North Dakota. 
And I was like, I was like, wow, like this is college hockey. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, that's the peak of college hockey pretty much. Right. So, yep. um, but, but we lost night one, but I played well. We lost like four, three and then night two, we tied them. And that was actually a huge win. And, and circling around to the end of the year, we ended up making the tournament by like two spots. Uh, we were like 14th. And um, after that game, we beat Penn State and we beat Notre Dame. And then we lost like 2-1 to Notre Dame. But in my first five games of college, I was like 2-2-1 uh, two, two against some of the top programs in the country. And honestly, that, that changed the entire face of my college career. I ended up playing like 80 college games. But yep. before that, you know what I mean? Like, talk about opportunity you know well, exactly and and you could imagine if that first weekend in north dakota you know if you just kind of went out there and got lit up right or yeah, like played pretty average. you know you lose whatever six to three on, yeah. i'm sure you got 45 shots or something yeah. right but you you know a, a mediocre average performance they would have turned to the other guy and who knows that would have opened up the door for him and who knows what he, you know, the story could be a lot different. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think for, for any young goaltender out there and any guys trying to make it like kind of understanding, like each and every game matters so much. And yeah. now one game doesn't like make your career, but it's like, it can open the door to the next start and the next start and the next start, which it's like, yeah, they're all one at a time, but it's like, if you don't, if you don't seize each opportunity, it's doors it's don't open. Bad. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Well, moving on to your collegiate career, you know, you experienced a, a tremendous amount of success your rookie season there as well, uh, winning a championship and several awards. But what was the hardest part for you about transitioning from from junior hockey to college hockey up in Canada? Um, I think one thing that's always like, a, 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 I think the culture is changing a lot. But there was always like, uh, when I was in the league, especially, there was always kind of like a... Uh, like a, a bad perspective of CIS hockey, because of yeah. course, you know, the way it, it works a little bit is like, if you, if you go to the OHL and then you do not make the NHL, like obviously a lot of guys do, but there's plenty of guys that don't, you take your OHL, you know, school package money and you go to CIS. So it's sometimes for a lot of guys, they, they're like, Oh, well the dream is over. Like I didn't make the NHL and I don't have a contract with whoever. Right. So it's a little bit like this is the end of the road, but you know, I think that um, I went there with a much different attitude, which was that, like, I kind of knew if you go down, like, most of the rosters in CIS hockey, it's like, yeah, these guys aren't in the NHL. But I'm like, man, this guy scored 40 goals in Major Junior. This guy yeah, had 100 points. Right. Like, this guy, this guy was a captain for, you know, the London Knights. Like, you know what I mean? You're like, wow, like, yeah, these guys players. are obviously pretty good players. So I just went there with the attitude that, like, I want to get better. And I want to get my education done and, you know, just enjoy playing, you know, while I'm there. And um, I don't know. So for me, I think um, I, I loved playing, you know, in college. Like I, I really enjoyed school. Like I was a pretty good student and I just enjoyed the the lifestyle of like class and practice. And then, you know, being around a college campus and stuff like that. Like it was it was a really fun uh, three years for me. Yeah. Would you say that it was a pretty easy transition from, from major junior, like the speed and the shooters and the hockey IQ? Yeah. Like it's, it's not like a massive jump, but I mean, it's definitely a level up. Like it's, you, you know, you're playing against guys that instead of like, you know, when you're a 20 year old in the O, you know, the game gets a little slower because there's 16, although they're good, but it's like, you're still playing against 16 or 17 year olds. And then, 
you know, when you're 20 and you go to college and CIS hockey, like guys have five years of eligibility. A lot of guys do their master's program. Right. Um, so it's like, yeah, guys are 24, 25 and you're the 20 year old. Right. Um, so, you know, there's definitely, it's definitely a step up. Like there are a lot of guys that go there their first year and it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not like a seamless transition. So, um, it's definitely a little bit of an adjustment, but like any league you've got to, uh, just kind of figure it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so you're, you're referring to that age gap. And I think that, uh, even relating to American college hockey, like everybody's always wondering, like, Oh, um, I want to go in as a true fresh. Like everybody wants to play D one as a true freshman, yeah. but the fact of the matter is, is that when you get to college, you're gonna be playing against guys that are 24, you know, sometimes yeah. 25 years old that are full grown men pretty much by that point, right? So that that age gap is is such a huge factor. I mean, it was for me too. Like I was like when I was 18, I'm like, oh man, I'm leading this league and doing the best in this region. Like what the heck? And then when I got there that that first game in North Dakota, like I really realized I'm like, wow, like I need to step up. Like I was already good and I was like, wow, I need to step up and get acclimated to this level because these guys are really good. Um, And so do you you think like a part of that transition was a physical aspect, like you had to get strong or anything like that? Um, I've always been like pretty dedicated in my off ice stuff. So, you know, for me, I felt like I was pretty well prepared in that sense. so it wasn't so much of that. It was just that, like, you know, every every single player on the ice was that much better and that much smarter. Yeah. Right? Like, every, everybody's just got, you know, like, there's a big difference between, like, a 22 or 23-year-old as, as opposed to a 17 or 18-year-old, right? So yeah. it's just a bunch of little, like, yeah, every guy, on, every guy on the ice had, like, that much harder of a shot, but they also were, like, that much of a smarter player where they could find a little hole here or there or they had a – a little bit of an extra move here that you weren't used to seeing. And, um, you know, it's just kind of adapting to that. Right. Yeah. That hockey IQ, um, yeah. diving into your championship there, you know, you had some, some crazy good numbers in the playoffs, 1.6 GAA and a nine, three, six save percentage, which is exceptional. Uh, but what do you think contributed so much, uh, to your success in the playoffs and, you know, your ability to step up and get the job done? Um, I think for me, like that playoff run, like I kind of, uh, I just stopped being afraid. Like I think, I think fear is like a really normal thing as a person and an athlete. Yeah. Um, and at, at any level, like, you know, there's always a little bit of fear and uneasiness about performing and about whatever. And I just feel like I was able to kind of just let go of, you know, like, you know, the, the fear of failure. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, like in any long playoff run, like you're going to be up, you're going to be down, you're going to go to overtime, like all these things can happen. And like, you know, the pressure, the pressure can build up and the, the doubt can kind of sneak in behind you. And I think when that happens, of course, you know, you lose your, your focus and you lose your ability to execute. And I think in that playoff run, like through all those ups and downs of any playoff run, like I wasn't, I don't want to say never, but I, I wasn't, uh, afraid very often, you know, I was able to just keep playing. Like, um, it was just a zero zero game in the first and kind of play the game honestly in that sense. Yeah. So how did you make that transition, I guess, mentally from, from the season to the playoff and then sort of letting go of that fear? 
Um, I've always, you know, kind of studied the game a lot. So I think I don't remember specifically one thing, but I've read like a lot of different uh, books on like the mental side of the game and just yeah. like, you know, mental, emotional stuff. And you kind of start to uh, self-diagnose. Right. And um, I think that year in general, I had a lot of success because I was able to just, you know, like just go play and have a clear mind. Yeah. And then when playoffs came, you know, I was able to hone it in. And, um, you know, I think, of course, part of it, like, it's not all about me. I also know that my team that year, like, we were a really, really good team that underachieved badly. And, like, you know, we should have been clear cut first place all season long. Yeah. And, you know, we finished third, which obviously isn't bad. But, like, for us, it was like, it was a really up and down year. And I think part of the team perspective was just that, um, you know, the guys really came out with a vengeance yeah, and had something to prove. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, um, rewinding back to that a bit, you know, um, what are some techniques or methods that you use? Like what, what are some hacks that you use to overcome anxiety and stress from playing in the big games? Right. Like, you talk about routine. That was a big thing. So like, what was your routine? What was your routine before the game game day? What was your routine when you get scored on? What was your routine when you would have dealt like stuff like that? I, uh, I really started, uh, to do yoga. Like I started that year. I started to do yoga every week, but then I actually like implemented, um, a couple of like yoga poses and stuff like that into my warm up routine, like at the rink. So I, I, in my whole career, I always had a yoga mat in my bag just to like stretch and go yeah. find some alone time or whatever. But I was actually just doing like, uh, you know, I would do like downward dog and then I would like follow the breathing techniques that they kind of teach you. And then, um, you know, uh, warrior one, warrior two. And then like, I forget what they were even called like scorpion. And like, I, yeah. I probably had like a five to eight minute segment of my warm up where I was just doing yoga yeah. and breathing and, you know, I think a big part of that, anybody who does yoga is like, you know, the awareness of like, watch your thoughts. And like when negative thoughts kind of come in, you just kind of let them go. And, you, you know, a big idea of it is to like, just stop thinking and yeah. just breathe and focus on your breath. Um, so I think for anybody who struggles with the mental part of the game, I think one doing yoga on a regular basis is helpful. But then like, implement it into part of your warm-up routine like when you get to the rink and you're you know you can do like I, I think it's always good to do the stuff with the guys like you know do the high knees do the butt kickers all that kind of yeah you know I don't want to call it stupid but all the uh, old school traditional warm-up stuff but then you know go find some alone sp space and do some stretching and then have a little five or ten minute yoga like uh, segment of your warm-up yeah so what was your routine after you get scored on too um, I, I never liked spraying water all over my face. I never did that, but I hated that too, personally. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I mean, I get, you know, some guys like, it. I just never did that. Uh, I never, I never liked to skate to the corner. Um, oh, really? Yeah. No, if you ever like watch, wait, wait, play, just like, on just when you got like, or ever, you never skated to the corner. Only when I like played the puck in the game, I like would not leave my crease. <laughs> And I would not clean my crease either. Like I just left it. Like I really, yep. I did not do anything except like I would just drink water, drink water, and just like breathe. Like I would literally just like sit there and drink water. 
And uh, yeah, I think if I got scored on, I don't know, I would just like stand up. I would like grab my water bottle and probably just look at it for a second. Like I would take a moment to like think about the goal and be like, oh yeah, like I could have done this or I should have done this. Yeah. And then for me, you know, my mental reset was always, uh, I would, you know, I, I guess I always noticed like, I feel like certain goalies and especially like from a team perspective, team teams play different when they have the lead versus when they don't have the lead. Yeah. And you know, some goalies like to imagine they're, you know, down by a goal. Some goalies like to imagine they're uh-huh. whatever it is for me. I always liked the idea of having a one, nothing lead uh-huh. because it was like, well, this is good. Like things are going good. We got the lead, but I also like felt the urgency of, you know, stepping up. Uh, yeah, like, you know, only being ahead by one. And, and it, it just kind of always, it always made me uh, recognize, be like, okay, like, how do I feel? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're down six to five. You've had a terrible night. <laughs> and um, how would you feel or how would you play if you're winning one nothing? Uh-huh. And I don't know, that was, that was something that I did in my own head, you know. That's what you would do after you get scored on even? Yeah, like, just like, because I didn't want to, pl- I, I, that was a problem I had like learned in my career is that like, whether, you know, things were going good, too good or too bad, like I would kind of change my mental state would yeah. affect my game and I would play different. But I, I just started to recognize that like, man, when it's like one nothing, I'm like lights out and I really yeah. like I really like where I'm at. Wow. That's a really cool hack. Nobody's really brought that up yet of, of in your head picturing a different score so that way you can play different, right? Like that's the point. Right. Yeah. It's just kind of, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a weird question to ask yourself, but I'm sure there's plenty of guys out there that are like, I don't even know what you're talking about, which is totally fine, which is probably a good thing. But at the same time, if you, if you're in a game and you're down, whatever, three to one or four to one or whatever, if you're like, or, you know, you even get down one, nothing and you're like, okay, we're losing now. Like I got to do more. I got to do something different. That's probably not a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in order to, you know, play whatever your best game is. Yeah. You've got to, if, if you haven't, if you're able to answer that question differently, then obviously there's something going on there. Right. Yeah. Well, over your, your several years playing CIS, you know, what's sort of the biggest difference between uh, the top goaltenders in the country that come through and win championships versus the guys that, you know, either come up slightly short or never even see that stage. Um, I think just certain guys like, compete better and get the job compete, done. Like, compete, baby. Love that word. Yeah. Compete's huge. Like uh, a lot of people always knocked him. I don't, I don't know him super well, but uh, Travis Fullerton was like the goalie for New Brunswick and they won several championships and they were, they were always the best team there. Like I pl- when I played against them. And yeah. the thing is though, that like people always love to knock, you know, goalies were on good teams. Cause they're like, Oh, he only had like 17 or 18 shots or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I just thought he was really good because like, yeah, like he wouldn't get a ton of work, but then it's like we would get a five on three and like he would make a massive save. Right. And like, I'm just like, that's really tough. And like, I watched him play in a couple like championship games. I think they won a game or two, like one nothing. And like he, as much as, you know, you could talk about the guy at the other end of the ice, sometimes it made 30 or 40 saves. I'm like, it's not easy to win a game one nothing, no matter how many shots you get. Right. 
it's right. almost, you know, it almost gets harder the lower the number is, right? Oh, I would agree 100%. The challenge so, is not always the 40-shot game. Sometimes it's the 10-shot game, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I don't know. He was a guy that I just played against there, and he won He won uh, quite a few times there. And uh, I don't know, just guys that they – I think certain guys understand the moment and the, the gravity of a goal here or there, and they're kind of – able to uh they're able to keep it out of the net yeah yeah no i like that you said that that compete level and uh i always sort of talk about compete is like on a scale of like zero to 100 um you know 100 being a win and and any given night like your team might put up a 20 which is you know you might get 40 shots right your team might put up a 60 and maybe only get 15 shots but the goalies that really find ways to win and become champions are the ones that are willing to fill that gap, whatever it is. And the challenge is, like we said, it's not always the 40-shot game is the challenge. Sometimes the challenge is being cold and being ready for only the 10-shot game. And what I noticed, and I'm glad that you touched on it, was the biggest thing I, I noticed between you know guys that come through is it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter if it's a five-on-three five times for the game it doesn't matter if they don't see a shot for 25 minutes whatever it is they're reacting to the game they're out there to win and and that compete level is huge and you have to have that compete level whether you got 40 or whether you got four shots um because at the end of the day you're gonna have to make a save eventually as a goalie in hockey right yeah yeah no exactly and uh yeah i think i think you know of course i think a lot of people talk about like hating to lose which is part of the equation, but at the same time, you got to just love competing. Yeah, man. Love that. And uh, I think guys that do that um, are, are just more likely to have longer, more successful careers. Yeah, totally. Uh, at the next level, like coaches look for that everywhere. Do you have that compete level? Um, and we talked about it earlier in the convo, like, Hey, if you have that compete level and you're standing out and you're getting results, somebody's going to notice who you are. Right. So, um, over your tenure, though, you picked up several awards, including all rookie teams, uh, all tournament teams, and Canadian second team, which is awesome. But what exactly did it take to win those accolades throughout the course of the season and through playoffs? Like, what kind of consistency does that require? Um, yeah, I think for me, like we we talked about the window of opportunity, and I just think that I think one thing that helped me in my career was like I I was always. Um, or at least I, I don't want to say always, I learned the importance of like respecting every game and that like a right. season and, you know, a door of opportunity can kind of change quickly um, each and every game, like each and every night. And, and so that really made me appreciate practice and like just the course of a season, right? Like, you know, you, like, the NHL is obviously a little different this year, but it's like, you know, you look at teams after 82 games, it's like, Hey, you missed the, you missed the playoffs by two points or you made the playoffs by a point or exactly. whatever it is. And it's like, well, that game that you played back, you know, in November and you weren't really ready to go or whatever, it's like that affected your season. So I think I, I was a person that just always uh, respected each and every week of, of your set of games and, and the weight of every game. And I think that always gave me a lot of urgency to, uh, to practice. Um, and then, you know, yeah, like I won some awards away from, from the game, you know, regarding like academics and stuff like that. Yeah. And I just always knew also that like um, there's more to life than hockey and that 
you know, school and getting your education is, is really important for no matter, even if you end up, you know, I obviously have ended up working in hockey, but my, my education, um, is still, you know, important for what I'm doing now. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but you go on to, to play pro, uh, you know, early after three years of university, did you leave early? I just, uh, I finished my degrees. So I had done, when I was in the OHL, I did a couple courses. Yeah. Oh, I see. And then, um, you know, I did a, a summer school class here or there. So I was just, I finished my degree in three years. Yeah. Well, you played over 30 games in your first season of pro hockey. That's really cool. Um, but what exactly was the hardest part for you transitioning from, from, uh, from, uh, to, from college to pro? Um, I think the first thing was getting an opportunity because, uh, one that, that year was the, the, I think that was the partial lockout year. Yeah. Whatever the first three quarters of the year was a lockout. So there was a ton of players, uh, looking for jobs. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I felt like my, my game was ready. Like I, I didn't feel like, like, you know, going from CIS to pro, I wasn't like, Oh man, like, I don't know. I don't know what to do out here. Um, <laughs> you know, like at that point I was probably close to 24. So right. I felt, I felt pretty well prepared like that. Um, and then I just think like, of course, looking at the outside in, like, Oh, you got to play 30 games that year. But the first team I went to, the Rapid City Rush, who's uh, I think they're still in the East Coast League. Like it's a, it's a great place to play. But when I went there, I went there as it always happens in pro hockey, kind of on weird terms, where they had a all star goalie returning, mm-hmm. and then the other goalie who was also like a a really uh, strong veteran goalie, he had had knee surgery, mm-hmm. so he was like due to return November first, like basically after the first couple weeks of the season, but. Yeah. They didn't know if his rehab would go well or whatever. So I kind of went there just on like, you know, a very uncertain ground of like, wow, like, yeah, maybe this guy will be out the whole year because his knee surgery won't go well, or maybe I'll get to play two games and then they'll, they'll gas me. Right. Um, yeah. So luckily when I went there, I played really well in exhibition because, uh, like I said, like during the lockout, I think there was a lot of, there was a, honestly, there was a lot of guys with better resumes than me that didn't yeah. have a job. Um, and wow. that's just, you know, the inefficiencies of the pro hockey marketplace. But luckily yeah. I got my foot in the door there and I played so well in exhibition because I kind of, I kind of knew the coach had other opportunities to get guys. And I knew if I had kind of one slip up, he was probably going to cut me. Yeah. But, but I played really well in it. Like, so what was weird is he actually played me in both. Ex- we only had two exhibition games. And he played me in both of them, like full games. With the other guys healthy to play. Yeah, yeah. So the one goalie was healthy, and he was like the clear-cut number one. He was like a yeah. six-year pro. Um, his name was Tim Boron. Tim was a really good guy to me, and he was a good veteran to have my first year. So, But uh, I remember Tim, like, uh, they were like, yeah, you play the first one. I was like, okay, cool. And, like, I played really well. We won in, like, a shootout or something, three to two. Yeah. And then – uh, the next morning I was like, I came to the rink for morning skate or whatever. And then uh, I, I forget how he said it exactly, but I was definitely expecting him to get the next game. Like that just makes sense. It's exhibition. Yeah. And Tim kind of smiled at me and he was like, you're playing again. And I was like the whole game. <laughs> like I thought, we, <laughs> I thought he was like going to tell me we were splitting. He's like, no, he's like, you're playing again. And I was That's like, cool. yeah, it, like it was, I was like, uh, okay. Cause I think, I don't want to say the coach was setting me up for failure, but he was definitely making me well, 
He's putting you in a tough spot to see if you can rise to the occasion. That's what they do, right? Yeah, they're they're really going to put you through the fire. And I played. I think we won the next game two or three to one or something. And I played really well. He couldn't cut me after that, which was great. Uh, Or at least he couldn't cut me for a while. So I don't know. I played whatever I played there, eight or ten games over uh, a month or so. Yeah. And then uh, the other guy got healthy. And when he got healthy, he got a start right away. He played well, and then they released me right away. Uh, so uh, I went home for like two or three weeks, and then luckily uh, Quad Cities needed a guy. And then I, when I went there, I was able to kind of jump in the lineup right away. And, you know, same story over and over. But um, yeah, yeah. I got an opportunity, and I played well, and then I was kind of able to, you know, play a lot of games there. Yeah. So would you say the biggest, the hardest part about transitioning was probably the transactions and the roster stuff? Oh yeah. And just like the volatility of like, you, you have no control over anything and especially as a goalie, but it's like only two guys are playing and those teams are on really tight budget. So it's like, they're not going to pay a guy to hang out. Right. Yeah, totally. So as soon as like the other guy got healthy and they knew he was a hundred percent to play, like I was on waivers the next day. Yeah. So, well, they gave them a start first because they want to, you know, cover their backs a bit, right? Well, right. Yeah. I think there's probably like a liability issue that they're like, okay, we got to make sure this guy can get through a game, right? So, yeah. <laughs> well, if you could go back and tell yourself something before your, your pro career started to, you know, maybe create more success for you, what exactly would that be, if, if anything? Um, you know, I think in, in my pro career, I actually uh, approached the game the right way, which was that, like, I knew how hard it was to get an opportunity yeah. and I knew how volatile it was. And I think um, I just, I, I did a pretty good job for the most part at like embracing every opportunity and having yeah. fun with it. Like, I think that's something that I didn't do in the OHL was appreciate every opportunity while at the same time, like you got to just have fun playing hockey wherever yeah. you are. And, you know, you can't put too much pressure on yourself um, to perform, you've, you've got to understand the gravity of, you know, every game and every opportunity, but at the same time, like you've just got to enjoy the ride. Right. Yeah, no, totally. It's, uh, I think that was something I did poorly was I, I actually was totally unaware of the, of the volatility when I got to pro and it kind of like jumbled me up. You know what I mean? I'm like, Whoa, like, you know what I mean? I can't find a, can't find a home, you know, and you get, you get kind of, and then you figure out how to stick. I think is the best way to put it, right? You figure out how to stick in the room. You figure out how to come up big and get the results you need to stick around. And uh, a lot of guys go through that, but it sounds like that you were pretty well prepared to head into pro, but I think that's a great point to make. Um, But the following season after playing 25 games, um, you decided to go overseas and play in England. And and where you guys went, uh, you guys went on to notch the league championship. So congrats on that. But why exactly do you make that transition over to Europe? Did you make that like mid-year? No, it, it was uh, unfortunately it was like a, a big like contract dispute. And uh, my coach actually kind of like, you know how coach can coaches can sometimes uh, mess around with you in the rules. But basically after my year in Quad City, they qualified me um, and then they, they basically like, they did something they weren't allowed to do because in the summer, you know how there's like the transactions list every day in the summer, you don't have that. So you don't, you can't really tell what's officially going on, but if they qualify you, but then they don't sign you, they have to invite you to camp. And then 
if they tell you to not come to camp, they have to release your rights. But long story short, my rights were being held by the team, but I didn't know it. And I thought that uh, I just wasn't getting offers from other teams. So what ended up happening was that team in England, um, they had an injury and they were like, hey, we need a guy. So I went there on like a six-week contract. And then uh, I really liked it there. It's a great place to play. And then their guy still wasn't healthy. So they gave me another six-week contract. And um, I played like, you know, the way it usually works in in England is that if you're an import goalie, you're literally playing every single game, Everyone, which I did. Yeah, they pay you and the then uh, their goalie was starting to get healthy. And then uh, I just thought I might get an opportunity back home, uh, which I did. Um, so then I ended up going to Elmira uh, in January there. So I was the first half of the year I was in England. Uh, with the Nottingham Panthers, which is a really, really cool spot. If you ever get a chance to go there, I would watch a game. And then, uh, yeah, the second half was with Elmira in the East Coast League. So when do you guys win that championship? They have only, like, Europe's really confusing like that. Like, (laughs) they they have, like, a million different tournaments. Oh, is it like like that, the the championship before the the season starts for the regional? it's weird. So, like, part of your regular season games – are this thing called like the challenge cup. So it's like, you know how like in any league you're like, yeah, we play everybody four times. Right. Yeah. But then like, I didn't even understand it because you would go into a game and I'd be like, Hey, like we're playing Brayhead. Who's like in our league and we play them a million times. Like they're like, yeah, but this game is also like a challenge cup game. And I'm like, what does that mean? I'm like, does it not count for the standings? And they're like, well, no, it does. I'm like, okay. So it counts as part of the regular season standings. But I'm like, then there's also this side tournament that like, it's like a playoff system where it's like, okay, we're going to play you five times this year. If we win three out of five, then we move to the next round of the Challenge Cup or something. Uh, I don't even know. So we did win something, but it wasn't in like a traditional. Right. The end of the year playoff kind of thing. Yeah. It was kind of bizarre. Yeah. No, they have that in in Belgium too. They have all these, uh, it's kind of... it confused me too. I had to figure it out, but basically they do, uh, they do like a, a ch- it's a, it's a national tournament before the league starts. So you start playing games in September, which isn't happening now, but, right. um, and then whoever wins that you can win the Belgium cup and then you go on to play your, I think it's like 20 games for the cup and 20 games for the regular season. So you only end up playing like 40 games before playoffs. And I think, playoffs are like best of three best of five or something like that no so it's it can be a little confusing for sure no um but after long your your long pro career you decided to retire and uh you know after that you played in italy and and you're in uh you're in quad city like you mentioned but you decided to become a coach and but i'm just curious looking back at your pro career you know what's some advice you can give the guys you know looking to start their pro journey and have a long and successful career like you did um I think you've just got to like seize every opportunity because they're, they're few and far between. Yeah. Um, and you know, just don't take anything for granted because it's easy to look at other guys' careers and be like, Oh, like I have a better resume than that guy, but I'm not in that league or that guy got lucky. And you know, that guy got lucky. Now he's playing a lot and he's going to move up to whatever league or get whatever contract. And I think that, you really have to uh, respect what people do out there because even though, from, you know, from the outside in, it's easy to say like, Oh, that guy got lucky or whatever. I'm getting, yeah. I'm not getting what I deserve. Um, it's really hard to last a long time without really being good at what you do. 
Um, so I think just understanding everybody is kind of at the same, you know, situation where like there's always yeah. adversity and it's not easy to have success. So when an opportunity does come your way, like you got to be ready to jump on it because it's usually a small window. Right. Yeah. And I like that you said that word adversity. Um, inevitably you will be faced with that, whether it's in minor hockey, but at some point you will be faced with adversity and there's a lot more of it in pro. And that's something that I would recommend the guys is like, Hey, expect to be faced with surprises um, expect to be faced with adversity. And when the time comes, just be willing to roll with the punches. Would you agree with that? Exactly. I think, I think too many um, young goaltenders at every level are not like ready for adversity. Like they, you know, I, I, I work with a ton of guys at, the, you yeah. know, uh, 15 to 20, but they're just like, Oh, I want to go to the USHL and play division one. And then, you know, it's like, yeah. I'm like yeah. you don't realize how much adversity there is along the way and yeah. how, how hard it is. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, you got to be ready to roll with the punches. Yeah. Well, after you retired, uh, you know, um, you became a, the goalie coach for several teams, including a team in Europe, uh, some minor hockey teams in your region, also Colgate University and the NCAA. Now you run one of the top goaltending clinics in the region, if not the country. But what's sort of your core approach with your guys when you step on the ice? And maybe you can deal, detail some of your core beliefs, uh, you know, for everyone listening. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to... Uh, my coaching philosophy and approach. It's just that I really think <clears throat> the game's always evolving and every, you know, you watch the NHL, like, yeah, there's 62 guys soon to be 64 or whatever it is. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of guys play different. And um, there, there's, there's certain principles that I think that are important, but I think if you're, if you're really a smart player, like if you're just, you have that hockey IQ and you, if you learn to understand the game, um, then, you know, your, your style and your, your, you know, everybody's got different physical traits. will yeah. kind of, they kind of figure themselves out. So for me, I just try to uh, really teach the goalies to, you know, they got to learn to work. I think when yeah. you're young, you don't really know how hard you have to work. So I, I try to make sure people learn how to work hard. Um, yeah. that might be weird for some people, but I think that you got to <laughs> learn how, you know, like, yeah, it's like, you got to learn how, how tough it really is to compete every day and to, um, push yourself every day. But then I try to make sure they understand the game. Right. Um, and if you, if you can learn to read plays and understand what's going on out there, you'll probably be able to adapt pretty quickly to any league and any level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How do you sort of teach that, 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 you know, People say you can't teach hockey IQ. That's what people say. I I disagree slightly. You know what I mean? Yeah, so how, think, do you, how do you yeah. teach that to your guys? I'm curious. Um, I think I think video is important, but I also think when you do drills on the ice, like we do um, a couple of like small things just about reading the play, but I think if you can get goalies to feel the play differently, like I think one problem there is in goalie coaching a lot is that you know, you could, you could break down a lot of drills into stuff like shoot or pass, right? And then yeah. you can put a guy high or back door and you can do stif- different stuff like that. But when you play the game five on five, like that's 10 people that are all in front of you, right? Total variability. So that, that's a really different look and feel than when you practice a two-on-one rush play, but you're, you don't have a defenseman there. You know what I mean? It's like you're just doing a two-on-oh and you tell the shooters where to go. Um, so I tried to make the situations feel as much like five on five hockey because 
when you, I think when you do that, the players kind of innately like start to, uh, you know, read the play better yeah. as opposed to just giving them the answers and then just giving them, you know, um, the situation. You kind of you kind of have to let them figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. That's how you would say that you build hockey IQ, throw them in there with some variability and let them figure out what works and what doesn't. Yeah, you need more variability and you need uh, game situations that are just like more reflective of the environment. Yeah. Like, you know, I think like a, a simple example would be like, okay, if like you're going to be a running back, right? And you need to like figure out how to, you know, dodge, duck, dip, dive and dodge through, <laughs> right? You got you to gotta be able to, you got to be able to duck through like whatever it is, the whole yeah. offensive line and the other guys. It probably isn't like that valuable, like, if, you know, in the sense that like, okay, why don't we do a foot speed ladder, like, you know, karaoke style, right? Yeah. Or would it be better if I made a guy like run full speed through the woods with like trees and branches and stuff like that? You're like, well, that's probably a little more similar because like yeah. there's literally things directly in front of you that you have to get out of the way of, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or you could imagine if I was going to like throw footballs to you through like a wooded forest area where like you've got to see lanes and you've got to like, you know, connect the timing of where you're moving and the, you know what I mean? I think those variables are easy to overlook when you, as opposed to when you just try to, um, you know, do something like two on all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Um, and, and, and finally I, alongside your goalie school, you also run a company called easy crease, uh, which is an excellent product and, and it's starting to blow up. But maybe you can just detail to everyone how exactly the idea was born, you know, the mission of the company and, and who can benefit from your product. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it started, you know, uh, when I started coaching, you got to go to your uh, USA Hockey Clinics. So uh, all, my whole career, like I obviously, you know, played in the OHL and pro and all these places. And, you know, you always do different drills and games and stuff. Nobody had ever like, given me a crease when the net is not on the normal crease area. So when USA hockey, like they tell all their coaches like, Oh, just get a, uh, a seven foot string and tie a Sharpie to it. And then, you know, give the goalies a crease. I was like, wow. I'm like, I've never even seen that. And I'm like, you know, I've been around the game quite a bit. So I started doing it at all my camps, all my team practices where, you know, anytime you're doing a movement drill or, whatever, um, I would put a crease there for the goalie just with yeah. a hockey lace and a marker. Sharpie, yeah. And then, yeah, the, the, those big Sharpie magnums, which really aren't great, but it's kind of all you can find. And then it got to the point, though, where, like, it was really annoying, like like wrapping the string around the marker and then, like, trying to hook it on and then, like, the marker wouldn't work. And I was just like, how is there not a product out there for this? Yeah, because everybody um, goes through it, right? Well, right, because I'm like – it's, you know, I think I, the first idea first hit me in like 2018, but I was like, how, how does this not exist yet? And anyways, I just kind of, um, put my, uh, put my mind to it and, and kind of connected with some factories and got all the elements. And now, you know, like my, my real, you know, mission or vision or hope for the, the product is that, of course, all the goalie guys get it right away. Like those are the main people buying it right now are the goalie schools and uh, goalie coaches and goalie parents are like, oh, this is great. Like, you know, they should do it all the time. But I'm really hoping that it's like the head and assistant coaches 
that can start to make it like a regular thing. Like every time you play three on three, every time you do a small area game, anytime you want to do whatever you want to do in practice, which is great. Cause I do think the small area games are really more beneficial for goalies than just down the wing flow drills. Totally. Um, but if those, if, and when those goalies have a crease, it, it's a game changer for like their accountability and for their awareness of positioning um, when the, when the net isn't there. And, you know, if you if you go a little bit more into like small area games and stuff, if you think about any small area game, the shots are always being taken from like better scoring opportunities, right? Like three on three is the most basic one, but it's like if if you were to take clappers from the blue line, like do you really have to be in great position to make that save? Like not really. Like you've got you've got a ton of time. Like I, yeah. you can be three feet out of the net and probably go ninety nine out of a hundred for clappers yeah. from the blue yeah. line, but. If you're out of position for a guy ripping one between the hash marks, like you're probably going to, you know, you'd be lucky to go five out of 10, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a big thing we focus on trying to educate, you know, just head and assistant coaches that like when you're doing a small area game, like positioning is much more important for the goalie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're hoping that we can, you know, get more directly to teams and coaches and, help uh, just young goaltenders understand their crease and their positioning and uh, get better and have fun playing. Yeah. No, I love it, man. It's uh, you're definitely hitting a market where there's, there's a need there, a huge need. And I can tell it's already growing on people, but I love the the mission of it is to sort of uh, get the coaches to start thinking about the goalies more. I think it's just, you know, and obviously we're goalies, so we might be biased, but I just seen it time and time again in pro, like it, the, the practices, the drills, everything's focused on the players, nothing on the goalies. We're just basically the pylon, right? Yep. And puck dummy. Yeah. What's that? You're just a puck dummy out there, right? Yeah. So no, I, I, I love the mission. I love the product. Um, but Neil, uh, you have any last words of advice for everyone listening that you feel passionate about sharing? Um, I think you just got to enjoy the game and, uh, have fun playing because you, there's so little that you're in control of other than enjoy the ride and, and embrace the opportunity that you have right in front of you. Well, buddy, thank you for coming on the show, man. Always a pleasure catching up and chatting and uh, obviously just a successful and long career from the, from the development program all the way to pro hockey and then becoming a pro coach as well. And I know everyone's going to absolutely love this chat we had today. Um, can you just let everyone know where they can find you online uh, to connect with you and your, your company and your goalie school? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you can check out Easy Crease on uh, Instagram. Uh, it's just at Easy Crease. Um, our goalie school is Conway Goaltending, which is also just at Conway Goaltending. Um, for everybody listening today, if you use the promo code HACKS, H-A-C-K-S, at our website, easycrease.com, uh, you'll get 10% off anything and everything uh, online on the store. So uh, I would recommend going there right away. <laughs> always love giving everybody a little bit of a discount is that all caps or, or lower lowercase all caps hacks h-a-c-k-s at easycrease.com all right well thank you conway i appreciate it man and for everybody uh go check out conway's goalie school go check out easy crease go take advantage of that 10 percent off right head to easycrease.com and all the links will be available in the show notes in case anyone wants to connect with him um, but after retiring from an incredibly successful career, uh, Neil now runs one of the premier goaltending clinics in the country, I would say. Um, but maybe somewhere down the road, we'll have you back on the show, man, if that's something that interests you. 
Absolutely. It was a great time, Santa. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for coming on. You take care, stay safe, and we'll chat soon, man. All right, buddy. We'll see you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode, guys, and happy six months of the show. And if you like what you heard today, make sure to hit that subscribe button as we have tons of amazing guests lined up ready to come on to the show in the next few months. Make sure to tune in next week and every Tuesday from now on at 8 a.m. as we have Zach Fucali, friend of the show, Coming back on to talk some more elite goaltending, except this time we dive deep into his off-ice habits, nutrition, and routines, and what exactly the pros do in between ice sessions to get ahead. This turned into a really good episode. Always a pleasure having Zach on, and I know you guys are going to absolutely love this one, so make sure to tune back next week. Without further ado, here are the giveaway details for the NeuroTracker X subscriptions we're giving away every week. And to enter the giveaway, if you're an Apple user, simply go to the Apple Podcast app on your phone and leave us a written review and rating. And if you're an Android user, you can also download iTunes onto your computer and leave a review and rating on there as well. And once you leave a review of the podcast, take a screenshot of it and either email it to goaliehacks at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram with your screenshot and your full name. If you guys are also interested in getting started with the product, feel free to hit me up either by email or on Instagram directly messages to get more details get excited guys great things ahead i hope you enjoyed today's show and i'll see you next week